Hello and welcome to the F-Files, the first cut. My name is Stacey Shelley and I work for Mighty Care and Custody Police Services. I have a number of roles across care and custody. The first one is training manager. I am also the contract manager for Cleveland Police. I also do clinical shifts and work as a senior healthcare professional and also a sexual assault nurse examiner. And that entails examining victims of sexual assault and rape. So the first couple of things that I want to go through are the background as to why we developed the podcasts. So you're in the right place if you work in forensic healthcare or you don't, you might just be interested or have family or friends that work in this area and you might just want to have a listen to what it's really like within this area. You are also in the right place if you're revising for forensic exams, such as the licentiate from the Faculty of Forensic and Legal Medicine. Or you are working through your asset um, and the asset is a PG cert accredited to you, CAFN. You are in the right place if you want to know more about custodial healthcare, but everything you read is all around legislation and policy and procedures and sometimes if you find that a difficult read because it is very wordy you might want to listen to something you are in the right place if you care about your specialism we are a specialism although we are not recognized as such but we are a very niche area of healthcare and you need some specialist knowledge to be able to work in this area, especially on top of your general healthcare qualifications and experience. So why was this developed then? I had a number of people ask me about podcasts, especially over my um, background as training manager, there was quite a number of people who use podcasts as a way of learning and developing. And I, I thought at first, I thought it was a bit of a difficult sell. However, after we put the questionnaire out, it almost 88% of those that responded thought it was actually a good idea and a, a good incentive. So that made me do a little bit more research and I found that there actually were, were no podcasts at all regarding forensic healthcare which slightly disappointed me in a way because I thought there would be this is a like I've already alluded to this is a, a very niche specialist area of healthcare and you would think that there'd be so much around it don't get me wrong, there's lots of CSI and SOCO and all those fascinating murder mystery ones, but there's actually no forensic healthcare related podcasts, which was one of the main reasons why we decided to develop this podcast. Who is this for? So this podcast is aimed to give you a voice. Also with this podcast, I want your voice to be able to help me mould it and it's to answer all those questions that you might not want to ask outright, those questions that you have that you feel you can't 
ask because they're either stupid or someone will think I'm silly. Well, we won't as a starter. But we one thing that I have found coming into forensic healthcare is that we need to get better at sharing our knowledge. Because we work in isolation, we sometimes find it difficult to be able to spread our knowledge and skills across contracts, especially when it comes to uh, confidentiality and pace and legislation and all the reasons why we can't share information. We tend to sort of hold things back and, and keep things to ourselves, but that we need to change we need to be able to give everyone a voice and have a platform to share it as well so how can you use this platform what we want you to be able to use this for is an aid to revision so wherever you are whatever's going on if you have sort of 20 minutes half an hour spare you can pop this on in the background or even when you're having a shower, however you want to use it, you can pop this on in the background and just play it, put your earphones in and carry on with your day-to-day -day work. And hopefully if you learn even one thing or you have, you take one thing away that's supportive, then I'll be happy with that. We also want to use this platform to raise awareness for forensic healthcare. Like we said before, it is a specialism, but it's not recognised as such. We have a lot of areas that don't actually know we exist, which is pretty scary considering we come into contact with some of the most vulnerable patients in the community. People are actually shocked to learn that we're here and that we are taking that information and, and caring for people in this type of environment and when you come into contact with other healthcare professionals especially uh, in general areas of healthcare they are pretty shocked and fascinated by our role my main response to that is it's not as pretty as you think it would be um one question that i did want to raise was how was your transition from the NHS or ambulance services to forensic healthcare? I'll go first. <laughs> My transition was terrifying. I was so scared um, and I've never been so aware of my PIN number and just how fragile that was as well. And I'll tell you the reason why I was so terrified. So I of a hospital where I was very supported, where I had colleagues around me constantly. I had people to ask if I had a question and I knew the right people to go to if I had a daft question that someone thought um, would make me look silly. And I was suddenly put into an area where I had to be autonomous and independent and work alone. Although there's a lot of people around, those people are not from our profession. They're not part of our background. They haven't been involved in healthcare apart from their own. So you take someone out of that supported environment and put them into somewhere where they have to work autonomously and all of a sudden you create massive anxiety. I, I always remember on one of my first shifts, I had a, 
a lady who had um, put a weapon in an indiscriminate area to get it into the cell with her to self-harm. And I had never seen anything like that before. Just a little old old nurse um, from trauma and orthopedics who dealt with broken bones and hip replacements, all of a sudden coming into an area where there was so much aggression and violence. It, it was pretty scary. So that time was back when there was a lot of FMEs around. FMEs would be on call from home. And they would go to, generally, they'd have their, what were deemed as um, doctor's jobs. So they would go to areas and undertake hospital assessments. Um, They would do the road traffic hospital assessments. They would do the SARC jobs. They would do the mental state assessments. And generally, it was a very isolating experience. I mean, you could ring the doctors. However, at times, I won't lie, I I did feel quite unsupported by some of them. Not all of them, but some of them. This is where I started looking at some of the Peel reports. So the Peel reports are the Police Effectiveness, Efficiency and Legitimacy inspections. So these inspections in the past have identified areas of poor quality interactions between between specifically doctors and nurses within custody Um, there were delays in service delivery due to no one being embedded in that service they found there was a lack of competence in the areas that they inspected. There was considerable variation between the services. And they also stated that healthcare professionals are critically important in that role within custody, not only for the assessment, but and, and also for meeting detainees' needs, but also managing their safety and risk. Um, and I think that's one thing that we don't sort of take into consideration at times that we are actually managing risk and we we don't always just sit back and agree with the police on what they feel is necessary. The Peel reports were force dependent and they did see evidence of high quality from some providers but those providers were the, were the ones who had appropriate inductions, the one that had training and supervision available 24 hours a day. They also looked at um, healthcare provision where it was safe and effective. And that they, they found that within those areas where there was support, it, they had a s- systemic approach to those assessments. They worked off evidence-based practice. They had good good resources and, and were supported. Um, and that massively, in those, those contracts that, that didn't have that support, that meant that those practitioners who were working in those areas were massively isolated, out on a limb with their decision-making and that autonomous practice didn't happen as much because people were scared to to speak out. Now, over the years, you'll probably think that's a bit of a crazy thing to say, but 
over the years we have especially in mighty care and custody we have massively developed these areas and put in training we have a huge arena of training and development at the moment and we've joined forces with clinical governance which it always should have been really in healthcare clinical governance and training go together um but we're now building a team where we can see that progression we can see that development and we can push those boundaries to say well actually we are very qualified and experienced and we have the knowledge we have the skills and we can challenge that behaviour and that view that we aren't good enough to undertake these specific roles. So to anyone who does say that, I would challenge them to look at our service and see what we've developed over the years because we have, and I work alongside people every day that have so much knowledge and skills and that comes through in our masterclass sessions, in our best practice days that we have. We have people who want to develop, who want to progress, who want to move forward. And I think this is where our autonomy has just bloomed. We are developing a service where we are not scared to speak out. And, and I love that about our service. I love that we can challenge without being suppressed and that we are supported in our area. I've found that within forensic healthcare, as soon as you pick someone up out of that general healthcare environment and drop them into forensics, not that you would, um, but if you did, then people just automatically shut down, especially when they work alongside the police. People don't always take into consideration how that will impact their practice so again those those people or those those staff members and even if it is you listening to this if you feel isolated or out on a limb we do have those escalation procedures in place we don't ever want you to feel isolated we the escalation procedure is there to ensure that you don't feel that because we need to make those decisions that are supportive and and especially uh, if we are isolated logistically in a part of the country that's not easily accessible. You can escalate that to your senior HCP, to your clinical lead, to your contract manager. And not only that, outside of ours, we also have the consultant on call rotor so you can access someone who has extensive knowledge and skills within the forensic arena and speak to them get advice do a bit of a telephone triage and have that support so although we are very autonomous practitioners and this has developed over the years especially from highlights within the appeal reports and and all the policies and procedures that we've put in place to develop ourselves and ensure that we are safe practitioners. That autonomy can bring a, bring about a little bit of anxiety at times and we do want to make sure that you are supportive. Moving on to the next question. I just want you to think about what it's actually like to work in forensic healthcare. It can be such a loud, violent, aggressive place that's massively overwhelming and at times you 
sit and try to write your notes or try to concentrate and all you can hear is people screaming at the top of the lungs people banging on cell doors and people shouting to each other and it can be really really overwhelming the thing that I would say is we do forget sometimes with especially within this environment to stop and look and listen because of all those external stimuli we forget about those basics and I've never seen such humanity as I have in custody and that sounds really strange to hear I'm sure but if you stop and look and watch people within that custody setting you will see them stripped of every single thing that they own that their phones their their private lives access to um support to people um and you will see the very basics of those building blocks of life and for me i always think it's a very prestigious place to work and again a lot of the terminology that I use here might sound strange but it fills me with a sense of pride to be able to work alongside people who care for those most vulnerable members of society that everyone else has written off even down to looking after someone who you might not be the 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 most gracious to as a member of society we have to just put that aside and it can become really really difficult just going back to that sense of pride when you see someone who comes into custody who is completely broken who's been through such a traumatic experience for me to observe that and to offer them support while they're in custody regardless of what actions they've taken prior to them coming to that that arena it 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 enables me to develop a sort of a, a more humanistic approach towards this and you might think it's the opposite way and I've always been told throughout my custody lifespan um within this environment I've always been told and I must I must get it at least once a month Stacey you need to toughen up Stacey needs to toughen up don't feel sorry for for so-and-so don't don't do this but in the back of my head I'm thinking no we don't need to toughen up that's not what the world needs we need people to care for those vulnerable ones a lot of these people are victims of their own circumstances and and that's all they know all they know is violence and aggression for dealing with people it's not it's not the for me it's not the right way to move forward we need kindness we need those people in the world that that make it a little bit brighter and for me you see more of that in custody than you actually do in the outside world sometimes which is fascinating to me so without further ado what the the final thoughts that I want to leave you with are this podcast was developed um, 
to enable us to give you a voice. So I want you to be able to move forward and get in touch with me. You all should have access to my email address or, or telephone number. So what I want to leave you with today is the awareness or the, the knowledge that we are here for you. This is your voice. So please get in touch if you have anything else that you want to chat about or you want me to chat about on this podcast our next session is the director's cut so following on from the first cut we have our director's cut and we are joined by Danny Spencer our lovely director who is going to give you an insight onto his role and how that how that is affected on the shop floor so we've we got a few questions about that so what we'll do is go through that in the next session so thank you very much for listening and take care